Good morning. Everybody doing good today? Yeah? Good. Well, I hope it's true, as Gordy prayed, that we do look to the Lord to meet our needs. I hope that we look to Him for all things of godliness. I, I pray that that's why we're here this morning, that we gather here this morning, because we understand that there is one God, there's one true God, and that we can come before Him and He hears our prayers. And that he left us his word, and we can go to his word as we will this morning, and we can learn about him and get to know more of who God actually is and what he would want for our lives. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about hope. You know, Jesus is our hope. Where is your hope at today as you come in this room? Have you placed it in different things in the world? Is your hope kind of shaky? You know, you hear a lot of times that people are hopeless, people are depressed, people are discouraged. How are you doing today? Is your hope secure? Are you hoping in things that can't be moved? Are you hoping in things that are solid, that are steady, that are found, that there's nothing in the world that can shake them? Or are you placing your hope in other areas that maybe they can be rattled or maybe they can fall short? We're going to look at what Peter has to say about hope, and he's going to describe to us what a a living hope is, what it means to have hope in Jesus, what it means to put your hope in the right place and not the wrong place. Now, this, this doesn't mean that we're not hopeful people, and maybe we place our hopes in the things of the world, but we might want to call them desires because the true biblical hope is going to be a little different, as I'll explain this morning, than you're just mundane, everyday kind of desire. So we're going to be in 1 Peter. If you'd please open your Bibles. Thank you, Gordy, for praying for us. And we're going to look at 1 Peter together. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now Peter opens up his first two verses. He, you can see that he's the author of the epistle. It says that Peter, an, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's the one who penned this. And who he wrote it to, he wrote it to the elect, these people that were being dispersed. They were being dispersed and there's persecution going on. So believers, the elect believers were scattered, if you will. And he's writing this letter to believers so that they could be encouraged and they can find hope. And that's who the letter is addressed to in verses 1 and 2. You have to understand that there was a man in charge by the name of Nero. And Nero didn't like Christians. In fact, Nero was known to impale Christians, dip them in oil, and then light them on fire so he could have light for his parties. This persecution was eminent. There was this big fire that took place in Rome, and the Christians were being blamed because Nero was actually pointing the blame to Christians to make the persecution even more intense. And it was going to become more and more intense, and Peter knew that, and that's why he was writing this letter to these believers. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, that first part of that, we'd say 3A, it says, blessed be God, which we just did. We bless God through our praise and our song. And Peter said, blessed be God for who he is. First, he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, according to his grace, mercy, his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. 
Now, it's very important that we take a moment and stop on this born again. Have you been born again? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We're headed in the holiday season. We're headed in towards Christmas. We're going to celebrate the birth of Christ. Have you accepted him, truly accepted him as your Lord and Savior? You know, I realize in my life, this whole meaning of he caused me, right? Because I was dead in my transgressions and my sins. Literally, I was dead in my old way before I came to Christ. It was like I was laying on the ground. There was no way I could save myself. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't give myself some kind of spiritual CPR because I'm laying there spiritually dead. God had to cause something to happen. I want to read to you Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Paul says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then he switches and he says, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which, with which he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You see, God caused that to happen. There was a time in my life I was dead in my transgressions. I was dead in my sin. I was actually walking around by the lust and the desires of my flesh. I was a walking dead person. But God caused me to be born again. God caused this new life to happen in me. And when that happened, everything changed, right? I'm a new creation. I've been brought from death to life, from darkness to light. I'm a citizen of heaven. The scripture says that once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Everything changed. My identity changed. My citizenship is not on earth, but it's in heaven waiting for me. Is that you today? Have you experienced that new birth? Have you been born again? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? If you haven't, maybe that's why you're sitting here today. Maybe God is causing you to hear the good news. Maybe God is causing you to hear the gospel. Jesus said, there's no way to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. Romans says, that unless you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the, dead, from the dead, then you'll be saved. Otherwise, you won't. It's so important that we focus on this born-again concept because he's talking to believers. And without being born again, all of this will make no sense. The Bible says that before you were a believer... In the same passage of Scripture in Ephesians 2, you were without hope, verse 12. There was a time that you were without God and without hope. But now that we believe, we have hope. So there's three points I'm going to talk about today. 
Our hope is living, our hope is secure, and our hope is amazing. Let's look at the first point. Our hope is living. Put the verse back up, if you would, please. So the second part of this verse, it says you're born again, but you're born again to something. You're born again to a living hope. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now this is a living hope, right? What is a living hope? Well, he gives you a clue because he says it's through the resurrection of Christ. You see, death couldn't keep Jesus down. Jesus still lives, correct? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. So if you put your hope in Jesus, then your hope is still living. If you put your hope in the promises of God, then your hope will never fall. If you put your hope in God's truths, then your hopes are always secure. That's what a living hope is. Well, the opposite of a living hope would be a dying hope. Now, let me talk to you about what a dying hope looks like. A dying hope is common in the world. A dying hope is what a lot of people that don't have the Lord, they would place hope in. Unfortunately, those things often disappoint or most certainly will disappoint. And I wrote some of them down. One category would be another person. You ever put your hope in another person? Your parents? Your spouse? Your children? Your friends? These are dying hopes because the things of the world are dying and will pass away. So if you put your hope, your, your ultimate hope, and rest them on any of those things, you're bound to be disappointed. Listen, if someone puts their hope on me, if my spouse puts her hope fully on me, then she will be disappointed at points of her life. Will she not? You put hope on institutions, such as government, or the police, or the school district the court system, maybe even church. And somehow or another, if you place all of your hope, right, all of your eggs in one basket, and you place all of your hope on any of those things, then what's going to happen when that fails? You're going to go down with it. I was thinking of an illustration because those of you that know me you know I like to do illustrations, right, visuals. So I was thinking of rock climbing, or mountain climbing. And you know how you have to wear the harness? And the harness goes over your shoulders and it goes around your waist and then it comes around through your legs and it's on you really tight and then you have a lanyard, right? And that lanyard you attach to the mountain if you're climbing on a rock. And why do you do that? So if you fall, you're still secure to the rock, right? So you're, you're hooked onto something that you trust. You put your hope in this lanyard, this, this device that you're wearing, but you secure it to something that won't let you down. Can you picture that? Well, picture if I take that lanyard and I put it on something like my kids. And that's my ultimate hope. Well, if they're doing good, then I'm, I'm following right behind and I'm doing good as well. But the moment they, they blow it, they mess up, then all of a sudden I'm taken down with them. 
or I put it on the institutions of the world. Maybe it's a government or the school system or whatever else it may be. Maybe it's the church, and I attach my hope onto that. Well, what happens when that fails or falls short? Or I put it on my career, I put it on my education, I put it on the job that I want to get, the promotion that I'm looking forward to. I attach to these things of the world that all will fade away. Great preacher said one time, he said, you'll never see a U-Haul in back of a hearst. Because you can't take anything of the earth with you and everything will pass away. There's two books I brought up here to kind of make my point on marriage. This one's entitled, What Did You Expect? And then this book is entitled, When Sinners Say I Do. You see, the premise behind both of these titles is this, that what do you expect when you get married? It's not all going to be perfect. Remember, didn't your vows say for better and for worse? So if I put all my hope in thinking that my marriage is going to be set and secure and always perfect and always right, then obviously I'll be disappointed and discouraged. But not so with a living hope. God hasn't promised that all these things will work out in life, but what happens is you start putting your hope in them, and then that hope turns into a need. The need turns into an expectation. When your expectation's not met, then your hope falls or plummets. But we're promised the living hope. A hope in God's word, a hope in God's character, a hope in God's promise that will never fail, that will never change, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our hope is living through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This word hope, the definition would be this, a biblical definition of hope. A confident expectation for the future, describing both the act of hoping and the thing hoped for. A confident expectation. When Peter's talking about getting this living hope, when Peter's talking the resurrection of Christ, he's talking about things that have been set. He's talking about the very thing that you put all your faith in, the very thing that changes the way you live and changes what you live for. It's a confident expectation of things to come. It's not like, oh, I hope it rains tomorrow, or oh, I hope I do well on my test. It's I hope in the glory of God. I hope in the promises of heaven. I hope in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a living hope. Our next point is, Our hope is secure. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
It's secure. Your hope is actually kept in heaven. You as a person, this verse says, are actually being guarded by God through faith. You see, we circle back around and we come back to faith because that's your part in it. You have to have faith that the things of the word are true. See, God guards you in that faith. God guards you as you place that faith in Jesus. He protects you. Even though things may get difficult, he puts a hedge of protection around you so he can keep you till the end, till all of those things culminate, till your hope is realized. Your inheritance, it's imperishable. It'll never spoil. Unlike the things of the world, right? The things I just talked about, they never spoil, they never decay, they never go bad, they last forever. It's different than the world. Undefiled, untainted by sin. Untainted by sin, everything's tainted by sin in the world. That's why things fail. That's why if you put your hope in them, that's why you'll be depressed and discouraged. Because of sin in the world. Nothing hasn't felt sin's touch. Even the world is groaning to be made new. Get this. The salvation, this hope that's kept in heaven has not been touched by sin because there will be no sin at that time. Revelation 21 says no more sin, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease. You see, you put your hope in something like that and then you really have something to hang on to. It never changes. Not tainted by sin and it's unfading like a beautiful flower that never fades. Like the beauty of God's creation, only you could take a snapshot and it stays the same forever. You see, heaven is unlike anything we've ever seen before in our life. It's gonna be so wonderful, so glorious, we won't even be able to explain it with words. And it never fades, it never wears out, it never gets tainted, it never spoils. It's always perfect. Is that where you place your hope? And you say, by theory, it sounds great, but how do I do that? In theory, but I still have this life that I live on earth, right? Well, in theory, it seems like it would be okay, but, but that's just all my thinking that's up there. I plead with you. Do you actually believe it? You see, belief changes the way we live. Our faith changes the way we respond. We say we believe, and we can be real quick to say, okay, that's God's truth, I get it, yes, okay, I'm in. But do you believe it so much that you actually live it? Do you believe it so much that you say, yes, I put my trust there. I, no matter if the world falls apart around me, my, my lanyard is really attached up there. I don't attach it on the things of the world because I know they can take me down. I'm still involved in the things of the world. I still have cares for the things of the world. I still desire things to be good in the world. But my hope, I know it can only be secure in one place, and that's in Christ.
I have to attach it there. I have to believe that that's real. I have to have faith. And then that causes me to live in a whole different way. That causes me to respond in a different way. That causes me to react in a totally different way. No matter what comes around or what goes around. Are you in? Are you in? Is this you? Is this where you place your hope? Is this where you want to place your hope? Again, maybe you came here and you're not a, not a Christian, not a believer. You've never put your faith and hope in Christ. Maybe today's the day that God's beckoning you, calling you, knocking on that door. Maybe today's the day you decide, yes, I'm going to turn this thinking into actual faith, into belief. I'm going to put my trust in Christ. I'm going to move on. And I want to secure to that hope that's real, that hope that stands firm. You can do that today. But the question is, is that you? Because Peter's going to shift gears here. He's going to shift gears. You see, all that that he talked about was a beautiful thing that happened, the beautiful truth about God and how he saved those believers that he wrote to. And then he points them to the future. He says, okay, understand, I want you to keep your eyes focused on the things that are true, the things that are right, the things that don't, don't disappear, the things that are solid. So he kind of points them to the, to the future, if you will. But now he's going to come and he's going to circle back and talk about the present. Look with me at verse number six, starting at six. He says, in this you rejoice. You rejoice in the truth that I just spoke about. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining to the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. Remember, he's writing to a, a people that are under persecution right now, but that persecution is going to get much more severe. And he says, okay, all these truths are there, but do you believe it? All these truths are there, but understand that doesn't mean it's going to be easy for you. You rejoice because of everything that you know to be true, but listen, you're going to have various trials. In fact, you're going to be grieved by these trials. It's not that you'll be unscathed. You'll be affected. The things in life affect you, do they not? You will have trials. James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Paul says in Romans, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We're most definitely going to have trials. Some of those trials will come about because we place our hope in the wrong places. Some of those trials come about because we take our focus off of Christ and the things that he promises us, and we put them on the things of the world. They're induced by our own ignorance, if you will, our own shortcomings. There's other things like these people were facing, and they're outside of their control, and trials are going to come on them because of someone who has rule, who has reign. Whatever it may be, be sure that you will face trials. You probably heard it said many times, you're either in a trial you're coming out of a trial, or you're headed right for a trial. But one thing's guaranteed, we all face trials. But even though you have a trial, if that lanyard is attached to the truth, then you can weather that storm. You see, those climbers, the reason they put that on there is if wind does come, if a storm does come upon them, if they lose footing, if they lose their grip, they fall, but they don't fall all the way down, right? It may cause an inconvenience. They may even get hurt and crashed against the rock. There's difficulties that arise, but they're strapped on to something that's solid. Are you strapped on? Is your hope connected to Christ? So no, no matter what the world causes to come on you, no matter what you cause for yourself, no matter what that trial looks like, you're still hooked on to that truth. Because if it's so, then look what he says in there. You rejoice with joy. You rejoice with joy. You're like this gold, he said, that gets tested. Right? You know how they refine gold? They put it in the fire and all the impurities come to the top and they wipe it away. And then they put it back in the fire again. And all the impurities, impurities come to the top and they wipe it away again. And the person that's doing this purification process is actually waiting till he can see his reflection in the gold. And that's how they refine gold. Same thing for you. You have this faith, this belief that you say you're walking in, that we say we're walking in. Well, there's going to be testing that comes. There's going to be fire. There's going to be trials. And it's going to bring to the surface some of your shortcomings, areas that I need to improve, areas that I need to grow in. And those get wiped away and cleaned up. But then there's another trial. And maybe it's my impatient that, impatience that floats to the top. Maybe it's my short-temperedness that comes up, right? Maybe it's my lack of faith that comes bubbling up, and it gets cleaned away, and I get refined again. That's what trials do. One theologian I read, he said, you can't, you can't teach someone how to be a lifeguard by just throwing them on the sand and saying, okay, now paddle. You have to make sure you get them in the water, Right? They're not going to learn anything on the sand. They're going to learn when they get out there in the waves and out in the water. And they actually have to live it. And they have to tread. And they have to fight. Same thing for us. Trials come because they make you stronger. Trials become because they refine you. Trials come because they remind you of everything that Peter said previously. that God is truth. That Jesus did rise from the dead. 
that he beat death. We no longer fear death. This body's decaying. One day it'll be at its end. But I don't have to fear that because I'm latched onto eternity. This is all temporary, right? I'm a sojourner just walking through this earth, but I'm fixed on heaven. That's where I'm going. So I can have joy even though the heat gets turned up. I can have joy. You say, how do you do that? In the book of James in chapter 1, when he talks about those various trials, he, he follows it up with saying, he who lacks wisdom, ask. God, I don't know how to be joyful. I don't know how to be joyful through this trial. It seems like my world's falling apart. Can you give me the wisdom I need so that I might be able to find joy and comfort in you? You see, you ask him, and he'll gladly give it to you. Because remember, he's protecting you. Remember, by your faith. By faith you ask for that, and he protects you. His hand is on you. It's all your treasures being kept in heaven. This joy is so great, he says, that it's inexpressible. I love that. Have you ever been with someone that just has this joy that you just, it just seems like it comes out all the time, even when times are difficult? You can see it in them. They have joy inexpressible joy and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls you see there's this promise that we already have salvation but it's an already and not yet it's a culminating thing we've been saved but we walk in that salvation we grow in that salvation and one day it's it's going to be fully realized when you get to heaven with all that inheritance that you have from God, fully realize what this salvation actually is. And that helps us to have that joy, no matter what the trials may be that come our way. I want to show you some pictures. This is a family I visited when I was in Uganda. It was way up in northern Uganda. It was right when Sudan was having all the refugees that were coming down that were being bussed down or taken down by vans. They go to this refugee camp where there's literally nothing. They don't have transportation. Their really only hope is that God will work out something through someone because they really can't do much for themselves at all there. So we visit, and this is one family, and she's handicapped. If we would pan over the right, if we could, you'd see her wheelchair. Her legs are actually in back of her. The baby, we're not sure what's wrong. We couldn't get a clear answer on what's going on there. Um, but she's been at that camp for quite some time. Let's go to the next picture. Here's a picture of just some kids that were there in the same camp. Again, a refugee camp. It stretched out all along this certain area. There was 80,000 misplaced refugees. 80,000. And you look on them and you say, oh, man, I just, I have compassion for that, right? Wouldn't you have compassion for that? One more slide. Here's a group, she lost her husband. Her husband was left behind when they got trucked down in that van or whatever it was. She had been there for months, hadn't heard from her husband because again, they don't have phones or cell phones or any types of communication. So she has no idea if he's dead or alive because of all the fighting that's taking place. And she's left there to take care of all her kids, again, in a, a makeshift mud hut with nothing else around them. They get food, they're all eating out of one, maybe two pots of stuff that looks like oatmeal mush. Um, that's being provided for them. They have one latrine out of, in different camps, which all house quite a few people. But I want you to notice their smile. 
I asked, I said, what's the biggest difficulty? She says, well, medicine. I have medicine for the kids. You know, I really worry my kids get sick and I have nowhere to bring them. How do you, how do you deal with that? How do, you, how do you pull through? How do you wake up the next morning? She says, it's only by prayer. It's only by my hope in the Lord. You see, her immediate outcome is not known. She doesn't know what's going to happen next. She doesn't know if her kids are going to be able to get care when they need it. That malaria was just outrageous out there because they're out in the sticks in the middle of nowhere. But she says, the only way I get by is by prayer, by hope, by people praying for me. Because you understand, see, I understand there's something more than this. That even though this might get difficult where we're at right now, there's something more, and that's where I'm latching that hope. That's where my lanyard is connected. I'm not going to take it off of there and place it on something temporary, like maybe we'll get a house, or maybe we'll get some great food that we're expecting, or maybe they'll open a hospital down the street. What I'm going to keep my hope on is the promises of God. You see, I show you these pictures because it helps me visually to understand. It, it, I hope it helps you to understand too. Various trials are happening all around the world. They're happening, I'm sure, in your lives if they haven't just happened or will happen. But there's still hope. There's still hope. My last point is our hope is amazing. Our hope is amazing. The last part of this passage that we're going to cover starts at 10. And Peter says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long look. That's such a beautiful passage. Such a beautiful passage. Later on in 2 Timothy, I mean 2 Peter, excuse me, he'll say this. Let's put the next up. Second Peter, he professes this, he says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These men spoke for you. We just talked about the people of old, and they were looking forward. They were looking forward to the Savior that was promised, this Messiah that would come. He was being prophesied about. They were looking forward to this one. And it said those ones that would preach this word, the prophets, that would speak for God. That's what a prophet is. Someone who speaks the very word of God. He says they were wondering, they were inquiring, who is this one that we're speaking of? Because you understand they're moved by the Spirit. It's not their words that are coming out. They're being spoken through by God. And they're saying, they're inquiring, well, who is this one that'll come? Who's this one that's being we're prophesying about. Who's the savior that's going to come and save all? And they realized that they weren't speaking for themselves. They were actually speaking for you. They were speaking that you might believe. 
They were speaking that you might know the real Messiah. They were speaking that you might be saved, that you might get this glorious gift of salvation. Now Peter's looking back and he says, even those people back there, they were trying to figure out who they were speaking of in this glorious salvation. But he ends, I love this, he ends it by saying this, things into which angels long to look. You see, angels are absolutely amazed by our salvation. They're created beings. They've never experienced salvation. Now, they see a lot. But in this passage, it's saying that they stoop down. It's the same term that's used when the disciples went and stooped and looked into the grave, the empty grave. They stoop down and they look. They're trying to figure out about the salvation that they can never experience. The glorious grace of God is amazing to them. They stoop down to look into what is this thing that these people get, the salvation that's been talked about for all these years past, and now that culminate in Jesus Christ, and we know when he returns, all things will be made new. And they're amazed by it. Are you amazed by your salvation? Man, if those same angels that sit up there and say, glory, glory, glory is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, that bow before him night and day, these powerful beings that he sends out that actually fought wars for God, that bring about wrath in the time to come for God, these powerful beings are amazed by the salvation that you and I are granted. Oh, we have to be amazed. We need to be amazed. Because that amazement will bring about the hope. And that amazement will cause our hope to go to the right place. To wait for the full culmination of the salvation, the promises that have been made in this book, the promises that are for you and for me to fully come about in the end time, and that's where I place my hope, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Amen? Our hope has to be placed in the right thing. We don't place our hope in things that pass, but we place our hope in things that are sure, things that are true. We place our hope in Christ. He is the one that granted that salvation. He was the one that was written about. He was the one that came and saved. He was the one, the one that offered us life and through him life abundantly.